Welcome to the Flash F1 podcast with Gil and Mark. Welcome to the Flash F1 with Gil and Mark. We're here to talk about the Australian Grand Prix. Mark? Yeah, you know, it, first race of the season, um, always an exciting one. And it, for me, it's one of my favorites simply because I don't have to get up at 5 a.m. A 10 p.m. race on a Saturday is always preferable to a 5 a.m. Sunday morning race. Yeah, I completely agree. Not having to wake up really early in the morning and uh, being able to, to enjoy the first race uh, at, at a decent time and uh, get uh all, all the all the race uh, information uh, just just well enough before the race starts. Yeah, totally. And I, I think that this is something the sport's going to have to solve long term. And I, I, we'll talk about this as the weeks go by. But obviously, this is a sport that wants to make inroads in North America and the U.S. especially. But it's going to be really difficult for them to do that if almost all of your races are spread across Asia and Europe. And American fans have to get up at five. And maybe the way they solve for that is with more races in the U.S., which I, I think what they want to do. But either way, a 10 p.m. race on a Saturday in March is a fantastic way to kick off the season now for the track review all right thank you sarah for the introduction so first race of the season in australia um, australia has opened the season opening race every year since 1996 in fact uh, an interesting stat and, and i've heard this a number of places recently but australia is the only country to have ever held the closing race of one season and the opening race of another from 1985 until 1995 the australian grand prix was actually held in adelaide um, melbourne maybe propelled by the fact that they'd lost a bid to host the Summer Olympics, um, were eager to host a world-class event and ultimately managed to steal the Australian Grand Prix race away from their neighbors to uh, their neighbors to the Northwest. But they began hosting the event in 1996. The first year the event was held in Melbourne, they drew over 400,000 fans over the course of the race weekend. This year, they drew 324,000, which by any measure is fantastic. The race itself is held in a very, very picturesque park in the center of the city called Elbert Park. It's a 16-turn, 5.3-kilometer street course. Um, I, I, and I think one of the things people often notice is that when you're actually watching it on TV, it looks like a true, actual, committed circuit, but it's actually a street course. And FIA, in combination with the race organizers and Formula One, spend about three months of the year either setting up or tearing down after the event. But at least from a TV perspective, the setting, either because it's on the ocean or because the city itself is so beautiful, looks translates magnificently on TV. Uh, we'll obviously get into the results of the race, but Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton of Team Mercedes, um, qualified number one, qualified on pole for the sixth successive year, which is obviously an incredible result. Um, but Australians are still eager to see one of their own countrymen on this race. And this is a country that is absolutely in love with motorsport. There's a few domestic championships that they follow. Uh, obviously, they support Formula One in a big way, and they also host a MotoGP race race in this country as well but certainly a country that loves fast cars and uh open wheel racing follow us on instagram and twitter search for flash f1 official what an amazing first race of the formula one season with valtteri bottas winning the australian grand prix 
Bottas's P2 start over his partner Lewis Hamilton led to an amazing finish for him, having over 20 seconds gap between him and Hamilton. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. In, in the MotoGP world, you often hear about the certain riders just having pace. You know what? He didn't qualify well, but he just had the pace, and he was able to build and build and build on his lead. And this is one of those things where um, Bottas qualified second behind Hamilton. They were number one, two on the grid. He quickly jumped Hamilton and never relinquishes that lead. He just built and built and built and built on it and ultimately finished 20 seconds ahead of Hamilton. Um, and, and maybe the only negative of the Mercedes win is their domination was so great. It just echoed everything that we've seen since the beginning of this hybrid. But overall, for a first race, I thought it was great. Yeah, it, it, his race pace was amazing. Uh, and I think what added to that, too, was the fact that this extra point system just gave him that drive to want to push even harder and go faster. You know, he was up in front. He had the clean air. Uh, he was toggling back and forth for uh, the extra point with Verstappen, but uh, what what a what a pace he had um, over Hamilton just to have that well over twenty second gap between the two. You know, you and I have been talking about that extra point, and and for listeners at home that don't know, um, there is now an extra point awarded for the driver who has the fastest lap of the race. Now you have to finish top ten to get the point, but we were I think stunned, and and I was incredibly excited because. Typically in a race like this where, hey, you know what, the winner is predetermined with 20 laps left, no one was going to catch Bottas. The fact that you had this extra variable at play was incredibly exciting. And the announcers did a great job of breaking into the driver's radio. And at one point you had Verstappen say, I want the fastest lap. And then they bounced back to Bottas like, I want the fastest lap. And it felt like there's a reason to hang on to the very end of this race. And I think you called it out before uh, before we started recording here. But we got to see, I, I think that fastest lap went back and forth between Bottas and Verstappen a couple of times before the end of the race, which was incredibly exciting. Yeah, definitely. Like it adds a, a different dynamic to the, uh, to the sport where these extra points can make that, you know, major or minor difference for the, for the, for the driver and also for the, the championship. Uh, you said uh, you gave an example uh, with regards to uh, Massa and, and Hamilton, if this point system was in effect uh, back in 2008, I believe it yeah, was, yep. that uh, Massa would have won over Hamilton. It's crazy. And, and I think we were both interested to see how this would play out. Is this something that the midfield or the backfield would be kind of battling over? But no, it, it was the drivers in the top three. Like, you know what, rather than just managing their tires and managing the race, they're like, forget it, I want that point. And you heard Bottas say on the team radio, I want that extra point. Like you've already got this win locked up and you would think that the smart strategy would be like, play it safe, play it safe, play it safe. But despite the fact that he was carving through the back markers at that point, he wanted that point and it was so, so, so exciting to see. The interesting f uh, part for me is, you know, not so much the the racer, the, the lead racers up in the front that's going to be battling for the point. You know, yes, they'll, they'll probably be more, more times than not gaining that extra point because of the speed and the performance of the vehicle. But... There might be some races where if you're, you're battling for 10th place and you happen to get that fastest lap uh, where, you know, there have been times where I've seen Kimi Raikkonen uh, just outperform uh, a few of the top level uh, vehicles that, you know, that uh, that um, that race around them that he's been able to get the fastest lap in a third or fourth position. But for, for this season, if you're looking at uh, a battle for 10th and that fastest lap's going to give you that extra point, that that's that can make a make a big difference in, in how the, that uh, particular racer or driver um, 
uh, performs throughout the season. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because we're talking about this extra point in the context of the drivers. But if you finished, if you as a constructor, as a team, if you finished seventh versus eighth, and you do that because you picked up an extra couple of points throughout the season, that could be tens of millions of dollars in in prize money. And if you're that kind of seventh or eighth place team, you need that money to develop next year's car. So it just adds this extra variable that will make the races that much more exciting. And I thought it was neat because they really only introduced it about two minutes before the race it felt like but I, I loved it and for me that was one of the biggest takeaways that I had from this race I, aside from the extra point what were your uh, other big takeaways what other things really intrigued you about the uh, the race yesterday uh, I think one of the big things was how much Ferrari didn't have pace great one great call yeah we're looking at Mercedes who had uh, a really good qualifying uh, and then Ferrari was right in behind them um, in, in the qualifying, uh, obviously it went uh, uh, Verstappen, um, and uh, you know, I just I'm, I'm just trying to f- figure out where 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 Mercedes uh, went well and where where Ferrari went wrong, yeah. right? So um, you've got you've got Bottas, you know, uh, exceeding uh, Hamilton, and you've got uh, Vettel and and Leclerc behind Red Bull. Yeah, that and that that was crazy. You're right. Not only is this a race of kind of celebrating Bottas, this is a guy who didn't get a race win last year. He hasn't had a race win since 2017, but he goes out and destroys the field. And I think there's probably going to be some questions between uh, or amongst the the Mercedes engineers about the fact that, hey, look, Lewis had pole and he still finished 20 seconds behind his teammate. So maybe there's some questions there. But I, I think to your point, the bigger question coming out of this race is, what the heck happened to Ferrari? What happened to their pace? And we see Vettel finishing fourth. And I know I know we talked about this a little earlier today, but maybe it wouldn't have been a four-five finish if they'd let if they'd uncorked Leclerc, because I feel like he was a little bit jammed up behind Vettel. What do you think? Well, it's still unofficial in terms of like team orders, but yeah. with it being the first first race of the season. I think they just let their lead driver just come up ahead uh, for for that points. Uh, we'll see how the, the the Ferrari team you know pans out for the next couple of races. I think they're going to take away from this first race and have a lot of talks and and more testing uh, on their vehicle. You know, back in Ferrari uh, uh, the Ferrari facility uh, to just learn from uh, this this race and see what they can do to to pass Red Bull, uh, who had a Honda Honda engine. Wow. And, uh, and be right up in there with Mercedes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if nothing else, Ferrari's obviously going to have a ton of data that, to your point, they're going to be able to take back to their facility and pour over for the next couple of weeks before the next race. I, I think a little bit of noise, and there's been some reports uh, over the last uh, probably 12 hours that Ferrari had some quote-unquote balance issues with the car, but they weren't even close to the pace. And, and you know what? Your comment about Verstappen, uh, Max Verstappen and the Red Bull finishing third is – for me, another one of the really exciting things about this race, um, obviously, for those of you that aren't familiar, Honda exited the sport after 2008. Their team got absorbed by Ross Braun, who bought it for basically one pound. They became the Braun team, and they later became the Mercedes team. But they re-entered the sport as part of the hybrid era a few years ago, partnered with McLaren. And for anyone who follows the sport, this was a disastrous, toxic relationship 
and McLaren had massive issues with reliability. They couldn't get on the podium. They had they struggled to score points. And if they didn't have Fernando Alonso on the team, I don't know that they would have scored any points. So after a couple years, this disastrous marriage ended. McLaren went to Renault and partnered with them for power units. Uh, meanwhile, Honda didn't want to give up on the sport, and they partnered with Toro Rosso last year, Red Bull's kind of baby team, their B team. And this year, Red Bull themselves divorced themselves from Renault and ran a Honda engine. And yesterday, and, and hopefully this doesn't go um, kind of underemphasized, but Max Verstappen went out and got a pole yesterday with a Honda engine. This is the first Honda engine or first Honda pole since they re-entered the sport, and his pace looked amazing. And we talked about this earlier as well. He was nipping at... Hamilton, and if not for one mishap, I think. Yeah, he had a runoff towards the last uh, seven or eight laps before the end. Yeah, so yeah. He, he, he was well under one second behind Hamilton, and I, I think he would have been able to catch up and pass him on the DRS. Absolutely. It looked to me, it looked like he had to pay. So they get a pole, Honda, Red Bull get a pole. Um, Red Bull gets uh, a pole in, or gets a podium in their first race of the new era with Honda. Honda gets their first podium since re-entering the sport. All four Honda power cars finished the race, and reliability was really the struggle that they had with uh, with their partner McLaren for a few years. So overall, I thought that was really exciting as well. Yeah, Honda with Toro Rosso the previous year, getting all that testing, getting them already fitted, and how how they're going to perform and collect all that data really helped Toro Rosso and Red Bull out uh, so far in testing and for this first race. Uh, you know, we look at qualifying, Toro Rosso did better than Red Bull uh, in qualifying. And, and uh, for this first race of the Australian Grand Prix, uh, like you said, um, both Toro Rosso and Red Bull all finished and, uh, you know, not not any major mishaps uh, yeah. with, with the motor. Yeah, absolutely. In, in fact, one of the things that I thought was most exciting was you saw uh, a Toro Rosso and a Red Bull fighting for position in the mid-pack. And I think oftentimes there's questions about, hey, look, if there was really an Alfa Romeo fighting a Ferrari, would the Alfa Romeo team back off? And if Toro Rosso was really fighting a Red Bull, would the Toro Rosso team back off? But it was really cool to see. And it was also really exciting to see how aggressive Daniel Kvyat was. This is a guy who really is getting a third chance in the sport. And he went out there and he went for it. Um, he went, he lunged for a stroll at one point, ended up in the gravel, managed to make up that pace and get right back on it. But I, I was uh, really entertained and really impressed by the performance of the Red Bulls and the Toro Rossos yesterday. Yeah, I could see that uh, Gasly was was really uh, wanting to pass Kvyat. Totally. Uh, you know what? I think I'm what I'm hoping for for this 2019 season is that they just let the racers race. And I, I know it's a big team sport, and there's a lot of money involved with with getting you know either their A team or B team yeah. to be better than the other, or their number one racer to be yeah. better than the number two racer or have more points, but you know, we, with an example like Bottas beating Hamilton straight up, uh, you know, right off the line and continuing his pace to, to win the race, um, they should have done that with like Leclerc and, and Vettel. Just let Leclerc, if he, if he was able to pass him, pass him. Uh, if if Gasly was able to to uh, get at uh, Kvyat and, um, and pass him there, regardless if they're a B team, uh, just let the racers, um, ra- the drivers just race uh, a great race and... Uh, learn from you know maybe the b teams or this or the number two drivers what they can do or what they've done to pass you know their number one driver or 
or uh, their A team. So that 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 for me is my wish for 2019. Yeah, you know what? And I think that's a fantastic wish, and I, I completely agree. My sense is, if you have a B team, you know, you, you guys can share data, you can share best practices, you can share technology. But my sense is, once you get to race weekend and practice kicks off, you've got to function as two separate entities. And if your your B team's running better than your A team, let them. There can't be any inter-team orders to say, hey, you know what, Toro Rosso, we need you to back off. And even within the team as well, I, I completely agree. To me, Leclerc had better pace, and I feel like the team... Oh, that was a that was a rookie mistake having a phone on during a podcast, but uh, we'll learn, we'll learn. Yeah. So forgive us. But uh, my, my sense is that that Leclerc Vettel thing, like Leclerc had better pace, he had a better opportunity to fight for potentially a podium, and he should have been cut loose. And maybe in that situation, Ferrari anticipates that hey, at some point this year, maybe we're going to have to make that decision that Leclerc's are really our number one driver, and there's going to be some drama, and they just didn't want to introduce that yet. But I agree with everything you said. Yeah, this is what kind of you know upsets me or turns me off when I'm watching a race that, you know, I want that, you know, underdog to kind of, yeah. you know, take, yeah. take, take that when, when yeah. the opportunity presents itself. Um, there's 20 rate, uh, drivers out on, on the course and, you know, the, the, the number two driver often gets frustrated. We look at, for example, with Kimi Raikkonen when he was with Ferrari, yeah. how frustrated he was, you know, yeah. trying, trying to outperform. He's had a couple of moments, uh, over Vettel last year, but, um, I just feel for, for Raikkonen or, or those number two drivers that, you know, obviously have the skill, uh, but are told that, you know, their number one drivers are number one driver, even though it's not spoken out loud. But uh, I, I'd like to see the underdogs or these other drivers kind of really push push themselves. And, and this is what's going to get them to stand out and become a number one driver for another team for another year. Yeah. And the Raikkonen is a great example, too, because Raikkonen's a world champion, right? Like, you know, he's he's basically the backup driver in a sense to Vettel or the second driver on that team. But he had a championship himself in 07. This isn't a guy that isn't decorated. Um, and it was great to see him last year win the uh, Austin Grand Prix as well. You are listening to the Flash F1 podcast with Gil and Mark. Now we're at the part of our podcast where we talk about all the crappy stuff that's happened in the Formula <laughs> One race. <laughs> oh my um, goodness. Where do we start? Do we start with how crappy Ferrari's performance was, their pace? Do we talk about all the DNFs and and uh, mishaps that we've that have that have happened throughout the Australian Grand Prix? For example, let's let me throw out Haas. Oh, no. You know, after watching oh, no. the Netflix special and and learning last year's you know Haas mishap with the with the pits yeah. and and uh, the the wheel and the wheel gun, yep. and we saw it again with with Haas this year at the Australian Grand Prix, and having you know. Um, Grosjean, uh, you know, DNF and, 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 yeah. um, you know, for, for pretty, essentially the same a thing. Very I was, similar reason, right? I, I was waiting for the, the other Haas driver to, I know. to, yeah, to, to fail as well. So Mark. Totally. And, and, and it's so sad because Haas qualified so well, really aside from Ferrari, they were among the elites of qualifying. And for those of you that don't remember last year, and it is, to, to your point, really well documented in the Netflix series, um, Drive to Survive. But last year at the Australian Grand Prix, they pitted one of their cars and they had a mishap on one of the corners where one of the wheels wasn't secured properly. And this is not something you would ever see in Formula One. This is the elite of the elite. And the car ultimately had to pull off a full corner, a few corners later and he was out of the race. Within two laps, they pitted their second car 
and the exact same thing happened on a different corner. So they were in the points, and it looked like they were going to have possibly their best finish in a single Grand Prix ever, and they ended up DNFing both of their cars. Totally self-inflicted. So this year, almost the exact same thing happens. Haas brings in a car. They have a, a real problem getting the wheel on on the front left corner of the car. Uh, I think the pit stop was just about 10, 11 seconds. The car gets out there. Um, a number of laps later, it eventually just works itself works itself off. So obviously they'd either threaded the nut or caused some damage and the nut ultimately backed itself off. And fortunately he was able to pull off safely and there was no damage and no parts and they didn't need to bring out a virtual safety car. But again, the same thing as last year. So that team must've been having some terrible flashbacks and again, totally self-inflicted. Yeah. You know, I think they're cursed where, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> the exact same race, Australian Grand Prix and the exact same uh, mishaps that have happened you know these these top top performing teams they they practice and practice they're yeah, top notch in 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 the pit crew um you know if it's one guy or or one bit of uh, equipment that's causing this to to fail um in their in their in their pitting then they need, they need to really work on that they either fire the guy replace him or um make sure that their equipment is is 100% yeah absolutely the fact that one, it happened twice last year was crazy, but the fact that it happened at the same race again, and, and it's so crazy because you look at all the work that the engineers and the designers and the drivers and the, the coaching team, like all the work that they put into getting ready for the race and something as simple as a nut not going on securely is what's costing the point. It's crazy. And again, we talked earlier about the fact that these these points in the constructors championships translate into millions or sometimes tens of millions of dollars of of prize money but unfortunately for Haas they DNF'd a car once again completely unnecessarily and maybe there were some mechanical issues there as well and it wasn't purely down to the pit crew but at the end of the day they they gave up some really really important points yeah so boys lessons learned make sure you secure these nuts and um yeah then everything will be good I, I know we talked about Haas because you know it was a deja vu moment for them but let's let's talk about Ricardo uh Ricardo Daniel Ricardo being Australian, you know, racing in his home hometown, um, and a lot of black and yellow out in the in the stands there, you know, cheering on uh, with Daniel Ricardo. Um, him having first to start off um, with a, a running over and destroying his wing, oh yeah, his front wing, and having to uh, DNF the race. Yeah, yeah, and, and and it's crazy too because we we talk about a, a country that's hungry to see one of their own on the podium or potentially win a race. And obviously there was some drama last year amongst the Red Bull team between Verstappen and Ricardo and some of the leadership. Uh, Ricardo left in the offseason in, in a bit of a shock move to Renault, but right out of the gate, he shreds that wing. He ends up in the pit and then he ultimately ends up DNFing. So just a, a terrible day for him and for all those Australian fans that came out to see their their boy be competitive. And, and it's sad because... If you look at the last few years of Renault results and you look at them in qualifying, you look at them in practice, I don't know how many podiums he's going to chase this year. And he's such a personality and he's so important for the sport. It's just a shame. Yeah, I was watching the race, the the start, like several times I watched the replays and I've watched it over and over. And I was really curious at why Daniel Ricciardo ended up having to go off to the right so far out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. He, there was really no obstruction. He could have ran tight and... Um, yeah, the 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 runoff there where they had the elevated grass portion. Uh, yeah, I, I just it was just a shame to to see that. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
that was a bit of a shock um, simply because it seemed like an unforced error at the beginning of the race. Um, another DNF, and maybe this one shouldn't have been a surprise, but again, if you've seen any episodes from uh, Netflix's uh, F1 Drive to Survive. They do a really good episode. I think it's the second episode on Carlos Sainz, his family relationship, the fact that his father was a successful motorsport driver. But again, bad luck strikes McLaren. They have a power unit failure and he ends up DNFing. So we talk about the fact that McLaren had so much bad luck with Honda. They were calling out Honda themselves. It became a toxic relationship. They had to kind of divorce that that arrangement. Now Honda's winning podiums with Red Bulls, and and McLaren is exactly where they've been the last three or four years, which is mechanical failures and DNFing races. Were you surprised to see uh, signs out? Uh, I was not surprised. Like when I when I saw the McLaren on fire and pulled over i was like yeah uh typical mclaren and and i started texting a friend of mine because he works for mclaren yeah and it's just yeah it's one of those things where if you see a mclaren go out it's 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 not a big surprise to me what the surprise was for me was norris is qualifying yeah that was that was amazing yeah to to be fair um to be fair for everybody uh norris the the new mclaren driver did have a fantastic qualifying. And I think if I recall correctly, he qualified eighth, which is one of the best qualifying performances McLaren's had in the last couple of years. So some good news there. Um, but you're right. When when signs pulled off and you saw the smoke and then ultimately the fire, I was thinking maybe it's just some oil that's escaped and it's got on the turbo and it just caught on fire. But as it turns out, it was actually the MGUK component of the power unit. And, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about this as the weeks go by. But when we say power unit, we talk about uh, the complete device that creates power for these cars. Um, historically, Formula One cars were just an internal combustion engine. Now they're an internal combustion engine plus an MGUK. This is a device that captures lost kinetic energy from the braking system. And they also have a similar device that captures energy from exhaust gases. That energy is put into a battery, which kind of drives the hybrid nature of these cars. But Apparently, it was the failure of the MGUK, which is a little bit alarming because this is a component that has really remained unchanged the last few years. But aside from that Norris quality, um, which was good, it was a bad weekend because they didn't score points even with Norris. Yeah, no. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what else to say. Yeah, honestly, neither do I. And and I, I think it's a shame because McLaren is one of those really famous British teams, another being Williams. Oh, do we? Do, yeah, do, do we, we do we jump right into that, no, Williams? Honestly, you know what we're talking about: bad luck and some poor performances, man. What are your thoughts on Williams? Yeah, Williams. Uh, like I, I don't know if I mentioned on the 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 last podcast segment that they should just sit out the season. Uh, they're just wasting their time and money. Uh, they got lapped so many times at this race. Um, their qualifying was was really poor. Yeah. Uh, they were out right off the bat. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't have any hope for Williams. I think they're just there to fill in the gaps. Um, you know, they were a team that, that won races like decades ago. Uh, we're, we're at a point now where they, they, need, they need to do something if, if, um, to the cars. You know, they've got qualified racers, uh, but I think they, they need the performance. They need the, the, uh, the cars that will really compete. Yeah. And, and the car is so bad that... Even if if Russell and Kubitska, even if they were racing well, I don't know that because their performance is so bad. And they were five seconds off the pack for the most part per lap in 
in uh, testing prior to the season, which is beyond atrocious because you think, okay, five seconds per lap isn't bad, but over 10 laps, you're 50 seconds behind. And over the course of a Grand Prix, you can be lapped multiple times. And what we saw yesterday was Kubitska, he damaged his wing, had to go in for an early pit stop, and then he pitted two more times, and I'm not entirely sure why. Ultimately, to your point, he was overtaken by Bottas three times. In fact, he was overtaken by his teammate once, who he himself was overtaken by Bottas twice. Like, the, the performance is beyond pathetic. And, and what's really disappointing is they're doing this with Mercedes power. They have possibly the most reliable power unit on the grid. They just can't bring together the rest of the package. And at this point, it's almost going to become embarrassing for the sport. And it's crazy because as recently as four or five years ago, this was a team that was finishing fourth in the constructors. They had a podium a year and a half ago in Baku. Yep. Last year was a disaster. This year, there's no way they're going to score a point. Unless the entire field in front of them, DNF, they're not scoring a point this year. Yeah, well, back then they had Massa as a driver. True. So Massa True. is an amazing driver. He's driven for Ferrari. He's driven for a, a bunch of teams throughout his career. So I think ever since Massa's left the team, it's, it's kind of gone downhill. No different than when Hamilton left McLaren. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And and maybe there is value sometimes if you're a developing team to have that seasoned driver because you can put him in the car and because he's driven great cars and because he's competed for championships, he can come back and give the engineers really good feedback like this isn't working, this needs to change. But when you have two young drivers or a driver who's been out of the sport for almost a decade, I don't know what type of feedback the the engineers are getting and the car just seems fundamentally broken. Well, to, to, to what you just said, you know, we look at last year where Fernando Alonso was a really great driver yep. and really couldn't make any changes to his frustration with, yep. with McLaren. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so from a, a Williams perspective, and, and we talked about previously having a swear jar um, where, hey, let's put some money in the swear jar every time we say the words Force India or Sauber. Um, maybe we make a commitment that unless Williams can make a significant breakthrough, we just don't talk about them again. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And with that swear jar, it would have been full already after this qualifying in this race. Like, oh, yeah. I was, I was watching both and... All the commentators were, were, were saying Force India. Yeah. No one was saying yeah, Racing yeah, Point. Yeah, yeah. It was the funniest thing. Yeah, and I, I must have heard Sauber 50 times as well. But again, and don't get me wrong, like I want Williams to be successful. I think they're important for the sport. And and if financially they were on the verge of administration, I, I think that's very much a reflection of the way that the sport distributes money to the teams and maybe it needs to be more equitable. But overall, it's just really, really disappointing. We talk about Force India. Lance Stroll in the points. What did you think? Yeah, no, uh, that was great. Uh, even though their qualifying wasn't wasn't yeah. the best, uh, but yeah, Lance Stroll, you know, Canadian boy, yep. and I was really happy to see that uh, throughout the race. Yeah, and, and this is a guy that got a lot of heat last year, despite the fact that he had that great quality in in, uh, in Monza in 2017. He had a podium in 2017. He got a lot of heat last year. You know, the son of a billionaire, a pay driver. But he fought his way through and some DNF's help, but he finished eighth overall. And maybe if there was a couple of laps left, he could have taken a lunge at uh, Raikkonen, who was one spot in front of him. But he also did a great job of keeping Kvyat off his back as well, because that was a lot of pressure. And that's a guy who's prone to taking risks. Yeah, it was really interesting watching the race, that middle pack there between Stroll, Kvyat, Gasly. Yeah. It was uh, really tight, but... You know, everyone was saying it's hard to pass in, in uh, the Australian Grand Prix in Albert Park. So. Yeah, and, and that's a great point. And that's something that I think will make next weekend exciting as you're going well, in the next race is you're going to a track 
that is known for overtaking, but you're right, Albert Park isn't somewhere that you would typically see a lot of overtaking. And one of the things that we talked about a little bit on the first podcast was the regulations this year in the sport uh, stipulated that the teams had to start adopting a simplified front wing, which is something I think you're really, really interested in. Mm -hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that front wing was really about creating less bad air behind the car. Yeah, so I think they've showed it um, at, at the qualifying, but we've talked about it before where they've increased the the width of the of the front wing. They've removed all the excess little the wing pan, winglets and, yeah. and panels. Uh, so with the previous wing it, that was shorter, a lot of the disturbed air was being caused by it hitting the front wheels. Now with it being wider, it's able to then now pass around the wheel and give that aerodynamic uh, um, stream closer and tighter to the to the vehicle as opposed to it being washed out or, or going out a bit wider uh, after hitting the wheel and disturbing the air behind them yep. uh, and, and then messing up the, the, the passing car um, who wants to pass totally. and going into a, a big disturbed air totally. area. So. Yeah, that, that, that's a great explanation. And the, the wings that were being used prior to this season looked incredibly sophisticated and they did a great job of punching a hole through the air for the actual car, which created less drag. But to your point, what they were doing was creating a ton of dirty air for the car behind. So the car behind was hitting this dirty, disturbed air and it made overtaking very, very difficult. So I I think to your point, by pushing it wider, pushing it away from the car, you create this pocket of clean air behind the car, which hopefully introduces the greater possibility of passing. And to your point, Albert Park doesn't promote passing because of its build because of its construction but hopefully it's something that we see in the weeks to come is a little bit more passing yes but getting back to the wing uh for me uh clean and simple yeah so it's a it's a wider it's a wider wing um we'll probably see a lot of wing clipping throughout the season where wings are going to be flying off cars more often than not we saw that right at the start right like first lap you see ricardo shred a wing um that driver on that team that we're not going to mention i think shredded (laughs) a wing pretty early on but uh, but yeah, if it promotes passing, then that's exciting. Yeah, I just like clean and simple. Don't need all that, you know, all that uh, co- you know, fancy fancy uh, winglets and all this, you know, space age aerodynamic bits on the front to yeah. kind of, you know, just clean and simple. If it works, it works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So do we jump into the into the uh, last but not least portion of uh, our uh, our crappy points of the uh, yeah? Let's do segment? it. What else you got? Verstappen. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought uh, the, the last eight or nine laps of the race, he could have overtaken um, Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. You know, he, he was within one second of yeah. him. I think he put the pressure on himself to, you know, to to try to pass him and, and yeah. do really well and, and get that second place. But uh, that, that pressure uh, led him to uh, to go off 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 track. Yeah, and, he ended in the grass at yeah, one point. Exactly. Yeah. Overall, I, I think, though, that, and hopefully you agree, that Verstappen's performance was good because I, I think he qualified fourth, ended up third, so he made up a point, ends up on the podium. Again, a big boon to Red Bull and Honda and, and that relationship. But overall, good performance? Yeah, no, a uh, really great performance. You know, he's with a great team. He's he's in a good car with, with Honda and Red Bull. Uh, he, he's a talent. I've said before that, you know, he's, he is young. He reminds me of um, 
Vettel like yeah. 10 years ago yeah. or, ten, you know, where he needs to grow still. Yeah, he's got the talent, but once he matures in his driving and in his attitude, uh, he can be a phenomenal driver. I, I see him being the next Vettel. Yeah. And, and you talk about growing kind of emotionally. You can't be, and we saw this last year, you can't be chasing down competitors in the garage. But uh, but overall, I, I love the passion. I, I love the fact that he's not scared to make a move. And I think what was exciting, because for me, it was it was actually a little bit alarming that Mercedes were so dominant because they're like, is this going to be year number six for Mercedes where they just kind of run the, run the field, but they were great. Ferrari was off the pace, but it was actually a big relief to see Verstappen in a car with a new power unit competing like he did. So for me, that was actually a, a big win. So even if, uh, Ferrari is off the pace this year and we're only one race in at least there's hope that Red Bull with Honda will be a, a competitive team because I think we know the the midfield is going to be pretty competitive this year yeah I was really hopeful for Ferrari though they were talking it up during qualifying and it seemed like they had a solid car and I thought they were sandbagging but uh, totally. they yeah they um I was, I was a little disappointed I wanted it to be a bit more challenging race with uh you know the new car new driver and you know really give uh uh, Mercedes a run for their money. Uh, we'll we'll see. We are only one race in, but yeah. uh, I think they're going to learn from from this first race, and uh, hopefully with uh, the next race, I think there is extra um, uh, D, uh, DRS uh, DRS zones DRS yeah. zones in the next race. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. we'll see if there's going to be a lot more passing and a lot more uh, pace for for Ferrari. Totally, and, and that's actually a great point because one of the other rule changes going into this year is hey. Your front wing is going to be wider and simplified, but your rear wing's going to be a little bit wider as well. So the DRS effect will hopefully be more dramatic. So you're not only in kind of encouraging overtaking with that front wing, but you're also over encouraging overtaking by making DRS potentially more impactful as well. So that'll be interesting. Any other final thoughts on, on the Australian Grand Prix? No, I think uh, we've covered a lot of the, the highlights and the, uh, a lot of the team's lowlights. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Mark? Anything that you want to add? Predictions for the next race. Uh, I, I don't see any reason why not to put Mercedes 1-2 at this point. They just looked so good and they were so dominant. I, I think the question is going to be, why did Bottas have such a huge gap on Hamilton? And there's some suspicions based on some of the stories breaking today that the engineers are already familiar with why Hamilton's car was so far off the Bottas pack. And and uh, that's something they'll correct going into the next race. But that was a question for me. But Ferrari's got some work to do because they didn't look competitive versus uh, Mercedes in this race. Yeah, well, I'm still hopeful for Ferrari. As much as I'm a Mercedes fan, yeah. uh, I'm hopeful, hopeful for Ferrari that they're going to pick it up for the next few races. I don't want to be going the first half of the season where Mercedes is dominating and then everyone learns after the break and then yeah. starts, you know, for me, I, I want the, the, the points, the racing, everything being really tight right up front. And we'll see how it goes throughout the whole season. That's what's going to keep it interesting for me for the for the season going forward. We we don't want one of those seasons where the championships are wrapped up with five we with five races to go. That's not good for the sport. It's not great for the fans. Um, maybe what actually plays into that narrative a little bit. And, and I heard this stat that teams that any time a team has finished one two in the opening race of the season, they've gone on to win the constructors' title and the drivers' title. So. I don't know that Mercedes could have done much better in Australia. Yeah, no, it was a great race. Um, again, just the first race. So uh, I hope that the next few races are going to be a bit more competitive and uh, they let the racers race uh, without a lot of team orders. Uh, you know, everything else has changed. We, you know, cosmetics, the, the, the performance, the teams for this season. Uh, I just want 
hopefully some of these uh, rules or this these these team orders to also change. Just just let them race. Absolutely, that's all I got. All right, same. Awesome guys, thank you everybody for for listening. Hopefully we'll be able to get this podcast up in the next couple of days. It's currently Sunday, the day after the race. We're still working through the logistics of actually posting content and making it available to people. Um, we do appreciate feedback, so please, I, I think the kids say slide us. Is it slide us a DM? I think that's. Yeah. Send us an email, hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on Instagram, however you want to reach out to us. Um, also, please leave us a review. Um, feedback's important. We want to be able to keep doing this. And if there's things that we're not doing that you want to hear, just let us know. And if there's things that we're doing that you would like us to do differently, uh, let us know as well. I like how you're uh, sounding very hip there. Slide us into our DMs. <laughs> Slide us into our DMs. I, I don't even know the expression. We're just uh, we're just here dripping in gold. Yeah, but uh, Mark and I are very thankful that uh, you guys do decide to tune in and, and listen to uh, our our conversations about Formula One. Uh, yeah, if you like it, you know, tune in again and please leave your feedback so we can get better. But uh, this is Flash F1 with Gil and Mark signing off. Peace. Peace. Join us next time as we recap the Bahrain Grand Prix. This is Sarah signing off at Flash F1 with Gil and Mark.